You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Freedom of the Will is a deeply affecting Christian text that serves as a philosophical guide to the free will of people, their moral agency, and our accountability to God. Jonathan Edwards was a Protestant theologian and a leading revivalist preacher during the Great Awakening. Edwards wrote Freedom of the Will in the 18th century while working as a missionary to a tribe of Housatonic Native Americans in Massachusetts. He carefully drew out the differences of thought between the Calvinist and Arminian theologies and sided with the Calvinists' views on humanity's will. Edwards sought to understand God's foreknowledge and how it related to free will and the ability to choose between good and evil. Ultimately, he concluded that to find salvation, we must accept God's grace and trust in what is good, which God has foreordained, and use our free will to seek it out in all our choices. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. That was the publisher's summary from audible.com for Jonathan Edwards' Freedom of the Will. I just finished it up yesterday. It took me quite some time, not because I was steadily working on it, but because I kept picking it up and putting it back down again, and then picking it up again, and then putting it down again. This Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards was a tour de force and challenging. And when I say challenging, I mean challenging in a few different ways. For one, there's no disputing that Edwards is a smart man. There's no disputing that he was very intelligent, very intellectual, very well-spoken, very disciplined in his way of communicating, very knowledgeable, very logical, very systematic, very thorough. And to some extent, I had a hard time with him because some of what he's saying, whether I agree with it or I don't, I really had to grapple with because there's a lot there. There's a lot of density. It's a nutrient-dense work, freedom of the will. It's not difficult in the sense that he's being very abrasive and he keeps offending you and so you keep putting him down because oh man i just can't stand this guy no it's he is saying some things which require some thought or should require some thought in my view anyways i find this question of god's sovereignty and man's free will with regards to the topic of salvation election, predestination, very challenging, personally. I think that people on both sides of the debate, both Calvinists and Arminians, are sometimes too flippant in the way they approach the topic. I think they're too quick to pick a side, to pick a camp, so that they can feel that sense of purpose and belonging, And I'm by no means saying that's everyone. I've known some very, very intentional Calvinists. I would categorize my neighbor two houses down as one, for instance, J.P. Chavez. Very careful, very measured, very circumspect, very conscientious in the way that he approaches these things. Not with an axe to grind. He's just wanting to know what is the truth here. Uh, that's my experience with him, and I've greatly enjoyed our conversations on this and many other things. I've known a number of other very careful, very sincere Calvinists who give Calvinism a better name than some of my early 
interactions with Calvinists would have suggested they deserve. Jonathan Edwards, for one, gives Calvinists a better reputation. He is a good communicator. He is a skillful rhetorician. He is very logical. But I don't see him approaching this with the same fire that Martin Luther brought to the subject. Bondage bondage of the will, (laughs) also uh, obviously written by an intelligent and well-spoken thinker. Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, written 1525, about 200 years before Jonathan Edwards. Bondage of the Will is also very sharp, but it's sharp in the way that (laughs) a paring knife can be used to skin an apple or poke somebody who starts picking at the food before the table is set. Martin Luther is not afraid to go poking his adversaries and the reader with the knife he's using to peel that apple if he feels like they are out of line. But Jonathan Edwards is much more disciplined. His tone and tenor is much more restrained. And I found him at once more enjoyable in a holistic sense maybe not quite so amusing as Martin Luther, but more enjoyable in a holistic sense, in the sense that you would, somebody you could sit down on a front porch in some rocking chairs with, drink some sweet tea, and watch the sun go down, is enjoyable. Martin Luther is enjoyable in something more closely approaching the way watching a heavyweight boxing championship match is enjoyable. Martin Luther is a pugilist. He's a bare-knuckle brawler. Jonathan Edwards is an intellectual, a philosopher. Martin Luther is not first and foremost a philosopher. He's first and foremost a fighter. Jonathan Edwards is not first and foremost a fighter. He's first and foremost a philosopher. And he brings his philosophical tendencies to the task of this question of Calvinism and Arminianism. But before we go any further into freedom of the will, if you can stay with me for just a little bit, we'll circle back. I want to talk about this issue of the war in Ukraine, the Russia-Ukraine war, what might be World War III before we know it. I want to talk about one aspect of it in particular, which is not getting nearly enough attention, but which I think needs to be attended to. We need to figure out a better approach to. And this might be an odd thing to mix in with Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards. But hang with me, and we'll tie it all together. You'll see. I'm going to play a clip for you from an interview that MSNBC, of all places, did with... Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg regarding where we're buying our oil from, where the United States of America is buying its oil from more specifically. I'm going to play the clip and then I'm going to give you some thoughts on the subject and then I promise we'll get back to Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards. Take a listen. Could the president possibly consider authorizing the Keystone Pipeline, uh, working something out with Iran? 
I mean, uh, look, the, the president has said that all options are on the table, but we also need to make sure that uh, uh, we're not galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems where uh, more strategic and tactical actions in the short term can make a difference. Hmm. Good question. Surprised by you, MSNBC, asking a good question. Hmm. Where'd that come from? You know, while we're at it, why don't we just listen to another surprising interview, another surprising question being asked of Biden's administration. This one for Kamala Harris. This one being asked on NBC. First one was MSNBC. This one is your uh, vanilla run-of-the-mill NBC. Let's get to this one, too. Where it hurts is to go after his oil and gas sector. And some senators agree, Republican and Democrat. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, for example, mentioned that the U.S. is still currently buying approximately 600,000 barrels of, of crude and uh, other petroleum products every single day. Is that on the table? Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. We have, as the President said, uh, reevaluated what we're doing in terms of the strategic oil reserve here in the United States to make sure that it will not have an impact or we can mitigate the impact on the American consumer. Uh, but let's, let's take this one step at a time. I'm understanding that right now on the issue of energy, our allies have stood firm and unified in a way that many of the pundits didn't predict would happen um, to ensure that we are we are unified in our approach to this issue. Okay. Did you catch that? Did you follow that? We are unified in being unified and our allies are changing their policies, and we support that. Mm. As a <laughs> small note, literally right this second, I just refreshed the oilprice.com app on my smartphone. WTI, which is West Texas Intermediate Crude, is priced at $110.45 a barrel. It is up 2.58% today. $110 a barrel. We're a week and some change into this whole business. We're at $110 a barrel. The Biden administration, during the State of the Union address, announced that they were going to release some oil from the strategic reserves. It sounds like a lot when you hear 30 million barrels are going to be released. And that's what we heard three days ago. 30 million barrels being released from the strategic petroleum reserve is how many days worth of usage? How many weeks? How many months? How long will it take for us to use 30 million barrels? According to Statista.com, in 2020, the United States consumed 20.54 million barrels of oil daily. So, a day and a half. A day and a half worth of oil is being released from the strategic reserves. Meanwhile, liberals, leftists, this administration are floating the idea of signing a new deal, a new Iran nuclear deal, so as to bring Iran back into the global market, particularly their oil back onto the global market so that we can buy oil from Iran instead of buying oil from Russia. 
We're not buying oil from Russia because, oh wait, no, we are. We are. I'm sorry. We are. Did you know also Keystone XL, by some of the figures I saw, Keystone XL, the pipeline that was canceled on day one of the Biden administration, just a year and some change ago, was going to carry 200,000 barrels more per day than what we are buying from Russia daily. There's no reason why we should be buying oil from Russia every day, and yet we are. And so long as we do, and so long as our allies do, we are in a bad way because we are funding, we are subsidizing the very thing that is happening in Ukraine. We are funding it. We are emboldening and enabling it. And for what purpose? So that we don't produce oil and gas here. Because supposedly we're all addicted. Supposedly the greatest threat to mankind is climate change. Climate change, more to the point, caused by human activity. Caused by the burning of fossil fuels, supposedly. The climate change alarmists claim that our burning of fossil fuels is a significant contributor to climate change. Never mind that one solitary eruption of a volcano makes a hundred years of our burning fossil fuels look meager in comparison. In terms of ability to warm or cool the planet, we don't hold a candle to the forces which God has put in motion and which God oversees and rules and reigns over and commands, including volcanoes, including solar activity, including geothermal underwater fence. We are not the primary cause of climate change. In the grand scheme of things, we're not even a significant driver of climate change. And yet, this does, in my view, relate to the question that the Honorable Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, was addressing in Freedom of the Will. It does matter a great deal whether we believe that there is a sovereign God who created not only us, but all that exists. It does matter a great deal whether we believe that that sovereign God rules and reigns over all that exists, that he always has, that he always will, and that he does right now. When we don't believe that God sovereignly ordains what will and will not happen, and when it will or will not happen, when we don't believe that, something has to fill the vacuum. Lo and behold, what fills the vacuum is us in our way of thinking. Consequently, when we believe that our choices fill the vacuum, not a little, but a lot of anxiety can come from our efforts to control things which are not in our control. Now, this isn't to say that we have no responsibility, that we have no ability. We must have the ability to respond. And this is where I say that the whole Calvinism, Arminianism debate is challenging for me. We have to have some ability to respond. And I'm not suggesting that Calvinists don't believe that man has the ability to respond. But sometimes I think, and this is true of Jonathan Edwards as well, sometimes I think that they are so alarmed by the Arminians and their excessive credit given to man's free will that they go too far the other direction to try and balance things out. We don't say, well, God's in control, so it really doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever we please. Shall we sin that grace might abound all the more? 
God forbid. Now we could take the view that the world may end sooner if we make a wrong move. We could take that view. We could also take the view that the earth is not going to end a moment sooner or a moment later based on our individual choices. It's going to end at the time and manner of God's choosing. And so then, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What does it matter? It's complicated. It's complicated when you're talking about global economic drivers like energy. It's complicated when you're talking about the nature of God and the nature of man. How much is predetermined? Is everything predetermined? Is nothing predetermined? Is it somewhere in between? It's complicated. And yet, just so, there's a very simplistic attitude on the part of this administration, for example, with regards to our energy policy and our foreign policy. We're so busy fighting climate change, which is a naturalistic bogeyman, if you ask me, we are allowing ourselves to be held hostage to Putin, even as he makes threats of nuclear war on the U.S. and NATO and the world if he doesn't get his way in the Ukraine. And why is that? It's because I'm convinced the liberals and the progressives have this utopian view of what is possible if man in his inherent goodness is set free from systems, unconstrained, unshackled. They don't like income inequality. They don't like disparity with regards to wealth and power. And yet they concentrate a great deal of wealth and power in their own hands, ostensibly in the name of the people. And then comes the oil and gas industry, for instance, men like me, men just like me, who might work a schedule that pays well enough on a per hour basis that when times are good, when the industry is doing well, I'm able to write, to podcast, to raise a family in such a way that contradicts their agenda and their ambitions. And I'm not saying they're making their policy in relation to me even a little bit personally. But men like me, a whole industry of men like me are empowered by their industry being unconstrained. A whole lot of men like me are empowered when we're able to fulfill that dominion mandate be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And when we prove that that works and that it's attractive and that it's dynamic and that it is profitable, we undercut the grievance industry of the liberals. They're jealous, but at the same time, they can't give up on the idea that they have free will. And yet, in their unwavering commitment to their own free will, they make themselves into slaves. Now, this is something I talked about in the Magna Carta of Humanity by Oz Guinness. Or I should say, it's something Oz Guinness talks about in the Magna Carta of Humanity. And I talked about him talking about it in my episode recently, outlining that book, reviewing the book, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it was February 23rd, episode 336. But he takes the example of Pharaoh in Exodus and how Moses is told by God, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Pharaoh, as Os as Guinness explains it, Pharaoh is the most free man in the world because everything in Egypt belongs to him. Everyone in Egypt belongs to him. And Egypt 
happens to be the most prosperous, well-to-do, advanced nation on the face of the earth, Pharaoh is the freest man in the world. And by contrast, there's a whole race of people who have been slaves to Pharaoh for four centuries. And what God does through that story, through that situation, is he exposes the answer to the question of what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? God exposes Pharaoh as a slave to his own stubbornness, to his own sinful nature, to his own wicked rebellion against God, to his ambitions, to his pride. God liberates his people. And meanwhile, Pharaoh's chariots get swallowed up by the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea so that Moses and the children of Israel are able to cross on dry land as Pharaoh pursues. He changes his mind after having finally relented and said that they could go. He's going to chase them down, whether to force them to come back to Egypt or to murder them. They know not. Neither prospect is particularly appealing, as you might imagine. But God himself delivers them. In the one hand, he delivers the children of Israel out of Pharaoh's hand. And on the other hand, he delivers Pharaoh's might to the bottom of the Red Sea. And so what we find with this very confusing and muddled and very poorly articulated, indefensible foreign policy decision on the part of the Biden administration is that they are stubbornly committed to themselves, their pride, their hubris. And that's what it was about from the outset. If Americans don't need their handouts, don't need their welfare, well, then Americans might just stop voting for Democrats. If you ever stop needing big government because you're able to govern yourselves, what, what will they do then? Their whole plan for life is predicated on them being necessary. You need me. And yet their reactions when things go awry demonstrate just the opposite. They need us badly. They're desperate for the affirmation Jonathan Edwards, in talking about this question of free will and sovereignty, makes a very, very hard-to-argue-against case for whether anything happens without God expressly making it happen. And I would encourage you to read it. I wouldn't say that it was a five-star book for me. I would say it was a four-star same with Bondage of the Will for very different reasons. Freedom of the Will is a book you should read. You really should. Particularly if you're a Calvinist. Particularly if you're an Arminian. It's not a original to Edwards argument. But Edwards basically leaves you no escape route in saying that man is not free except to do what is in his nature. And so what is in the nature of man apart from God? Nothing good, nothing capable, nothing alive apart from God. What will man choose? Well, what's in his nature? Man will choose according to his nature. A related truth claim, and not a claim when it's the Lord, just a truth, and we should claim it. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. A bad tree does not bear good fruit. Jesus says we should judge trees by the fruit that they bear. That's why it is our place to judge. Except Jesus says, don't judge by outward appearances, judge with right judgment. How do you know what right judgment is? Well, you have to study to show yourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word 
of truth. Jonathan Edwards, I did a little bit of research on him after having read his book. He went to Yale at the age of 13. 13 years old. Also, it is held that he studied 13 hours a day. Must have liked the number 13. Not sure why, but something about it. He is very diligent. And we could learn a lesson or two from the way in which he processes these things methodically. It might seem cold, but I would say it's careful, methodical. Yes, sometimes academic. Yes, very intellectual. And yet, if you look at the Great Awakening, you'll realize Jonathan Edwards was the foremost intellectual of that revival. But in contrast, you had the men who helped to spark the Baptist and Methodist movements in America in particular, specifically for the purposes of our discussion, having a very different sort of preaching, a very different sort of gospel presentation. Extemporaneous, ad lib, as the spirit leads, if you will, open air at odd times of the day and week, very emotional, very moving, very influential, important to understand. But one of the things you risk, and I know that I risk this even just in the way that I record these podcasts, I record all of these podcasts extemporaneously, unless I'm reading something for you, which I will tell you in the moment I'm reading something for you. I am giving you these thoughts, convictions, sentiments extemporaneously. One of the risks you run with extemporaneous thought is that you're going to say something that is not true, but it will be easier to believe despite its untruth for the fact of it seeming genuine and being genuine. Now the counterpoint would be a very careful and methodical error is worse than (laughs) an extemporaneous error in that you've wasted a great deal more time perhaps in very carefully being wrong. And you might be all the surer, depending on the sort of person you are, you might be all the more convinced of your error for how carefully you made it, how long it took for you to make it. And there's a concept in economics and business called sunk cost, whereby at a certain point you pull the plug on an investment that is not returning a profit because that's enough. Yes, I have put a lot into this, but I am not getting back what I put into it. And I'm not going to throw good money after bad. I'm not going to throw good time and energy and attention after bad. I'm going to divest what I can and reinvest somewhere better, somewhere more profitable. And you call what you've invested already, what you've lost already, perhaps a sunk cost. You don't use what you've already invested to justify wasting more. There's also opportunity cost because the longer you keep on investing more, throwing good money after bad, for instance, the more you're missing out on the potential profits of a more profitable alternative. So Jonathan Edwards, very careful, very methodical, very challenging I think, for how airtight his logic is, how disciplined his messaging is. You can't fault him for being an unpleasant character. At least I can't. I didn't find him just rude and insulting and mocking at points like I did Martin Luther. 
But we would do well to question, for one thing, all of this climate change hysteria in light of the free will predestination debate. Is the earth going to burn up because we're driving cars and running electricity into our homes for cooking, for lights, for turning on the computer, recording a podcast, listening to a podcast, charging our phone? Are we going to destroy this planet because we're burning fossil fuels? Well, if God has given us free will, and if we are inherently good, but we can become corrupt by adhering to faulty systems, but we can be purified by destroying all external influences, then maybe the progressives are right. Maybe we need to just drive the price of oil as high as possible. It needs to be painful. The more painful it is, the more we self-flagellate, maybe the sooner Mother Earth will listen to us, forgive us our sin, heal our land. Maybe the more the price of oil goes up, the less oil we'll consume. Or if you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, so be it. If some people starve and lose their jobs and can't afford the rent and become homeless, they can just sign up for a government program, right? Or maybe if they end it all, well, survival of the fittest. The ends justify the means. We're saving the planet. We've got a planet to save. Don't they know it? too bad, but more people would starve. Just read Thomas Malthus. The planet's carrying capacities. Only so much. We've got to decrease the surplus population. To paraphrase Ebenezer Scrooge. The sooner the better we crack as many eggs as possible. Make as big of an omelet as possible. And so what we're going to do, if you were hearing Pete Buttigieg, is we're going to see if we can buy oil from Iran. We're in a situation with Russia where Russia has a whole lot of nukes, a very big nuclear arsenal. And their ground forces and their air force and their naval forces are not terribly impressive. Similar to what caused the collapse of the Soviet Union, the dynamics at play in the Russian economy and in Russian society do not make for a strong military not as strong as would free market capitalism, not as strong as a society predicated on free speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion. And yet there too, with regards to Russia, freedom, to paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, freedom is only as useful as what you will probably do with it. A large part of why the Russian people are not freer than they are is because they don't know what they would do with freedom. They don't see enough of a value in it. Yes, they might protest here and there and how and then, and yet they're easily terrorized into silence again because they don't want it enough. They don't see enough of a value in it because when the Russian people are free, They act according to their nature. They act according to their passions and their lusts. The more godless the Russian people are, the uglier it is when they exercise their free will to do what is in their nature to want and to do. So the mainstay shrugs and says, well, okay, what's the difference? Being a slave to my own sinful nature or being a slave to Vladimir Putin's sinful nature? At least I'm alive. Better a live dog than a dead lion, right? But Putin has nukes. And so the rest of the world knuckles under and lets him do what he's doing in Ukraine. We could mop up his forces in short order if he weren't threatening nuclear strikes against NATO and the U.S. And that's why he's threatening nuclear strikes, by the way. He's having as much trouble as he's having with Ukraine because the Ukrainian people aren't having what he is trying to offer them, subjugation, 
dressed up as liberation. Just imagine if we did declare a no-fly zone and his fighter jets tried to oppose it. Just imagine how quickly he would be resorting to the nukes because his military had been destroyed. So we're not going to buy oil from Russia, maybe, although we still don't have a commitment with regards to that. Kamala Harris is affirming Germany. And yet, that's misleading also. Germany is changing decades worth of their domestic policy. One report that I read said that they were going to move up the timeline on being completely green from 2050, I think it was, to 2035. And yet some early reports that I read said Europe only had six weeks if Russian oil and gas stopped flowing entirely. I don't know how much truth there is to that. But six weeks is a great deal less time than there is between now and 2035. Meanwhile, the headline this morning and last night was that Russia was shelling a very large, very important nuclear power plant in Ukraine. So what do you do there? Go nuclear in your power generation, and then Putin comes through and destroys your nuclear power generation. So you'll be dependent on his oil. And then what do you do? The time to produce your own oil and gas was decades ago. You created this monster. You enabled this. Stop. And yet, what we see with our leaders, our elected representatives, is also what we see in ourselves. Yes, there's the option. Yes, we could. We absolutely could if we wanted to but we don't want to. We want to do something else because something is more important to us than this. This is clearly objectively more beneficial for us to produce our own oil and gas and not buy it from either Russia or Iran. You want to sign a nuclear deal with Iran even though they chant death to America, even though they promise to annihilate Israel, what you will get is another Putin in the Middle East, and maybe even sooner than you would imagine. When World War III breaks out, there's a great deal of reason to believe it will be us and our NATO allies against Russia, Iran, China, and North Korea. So you're going to stop buying oil from one of those four, so that you can buy oil from another one of those four? All the while, your own people are clamoring, now also Democrats, now also MSNBC and NBC, like Pharaoh's advisors, trying to reason with Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people produce their own energy instead of being slaves to tyrants who hate us, who threaten the destruction of our cities, the destruction of the cities of our allies. Let my people be free. And yet, just like with the Russian people, I think increasingly as we have found ourselves slaves to our own wickedness and folly, and we've watched one another be slaves to wickedness and folly, we've concluded a different kind of determinism. There's a fatalistic quality to the progressive program. Stubbornly clinging to utopia, someday, somehow, maybe, possibly, if you just do what I say, if you just give me all of your money and power, and the older the utopian is, the less you should trust them. It's the less time they have before they give an account to no one as they see it when they're godless. They neither expect to have to live with the long-term effects of the inflation they're causing, nor do they expect to have to stand before a righteous and holy God and give an account. 
Remember, you were warned. But the American people, more and more like the Russian people, although thankfully, mercifully, not to that extent yet, shrug about freedom. I think in part because we believed some untrue things about how free we were. Freedom for what? Freedom to become slaves to sin? God forbid. And so like the Russian people in Putin. Yeah, I could be a slave to my sinful nature or I could be a slave to Putin's sinful nature. What's the difference? As long as I don't get arrested, hauled off to prison, tortured and murdered. So be it. Pass the vodka. And Americans increasingly shrug and say, well, what's the difference? I could be a sin. I could, I could be a slave to my own sinful nature or I could be a slave to Biden's and Kamala Harris's and Pete Buttigieg or the mullahs of Iran or Putin or Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. What's the difference, really? My takeaway from freedom of the will is that we have free will when and how the good Lord gives us free will. Would we be free? We have to go to the good Lord to get or regain our freedom. That's my takeaway. And I think the more I have pondered this Calvinism versus Arminianism, neither of which I subscribe to on principle, on purpose. But the more I've contended with this, the more I've concluded that whether God gives us the ability to choose in the instant we believe, or whether he gives us the ability to choose as a factor of being created in his image, and we all alike have that freedom to choose God deserves the credit. It's a horse apiece. It's half a dozen of one and six of the other. Any way you slice it for the Christian, there's no getting around God getting the credit if we have the ability to choose to accept the gift of salvation in Christ. So our prayer should be, if we can pray it, that God would make us free indeed. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's interesting, this documentary I watched on the Great Awakening and opening with Jonathan Edwards, appropriately enough, from Bob Jones, by the way, I think it was a 2008 documentary on YouTube. My mom went to Bob Jones, by the way. But this documentary talked about how the religious motivation for the first generations of colonists in the new world was religious. The religious motivation was religious. And as the hard times gave way to good times, as prosperity set in and people enjoyed the fruits of their labors, and the fruits of the labors of previous generations who had come and brought civilization to North America, to these 13 colonies. The religious conviction became materialistic. The religious conviction became one of being prosperous in an earthly sense, first and foremost. No longer were they seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness so that all these things would be added unto them. Now they were seeking all these things to be added to them so that they could inherit the kingdom. They got it backwards. And so what you find with men like Edwards preaching the most famous sermon in American history, one of the most famous sermons in church history, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, what you find is a call to repentance along the lines of seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. We shouldn't pray for revival because what we want more than anything is to produce our own oil and gas here instead of buying it from our enemies, people who want to nuke us, chop our heads off, 
force our conversion to communism or Islamism. But one of the consequences of a conversion would be we would not enslave ourselves to people who hate us. More to the point, our own self-interest is reflected in the types of leaders we have who are happy to sell our interests out to the highest bidder overseas. They don't blush or blink an eyelash at graft and bribery. Our prayer should be that of Jonathan Edwards. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. He says at one point, I will live for God. He calls that resolution one. And then he lists resolution two. If no one else does, I still will. That's all I've got for this episode. It's a Friday. A Friday morning. I need to get to work. I also need a fresh cup of coffee. Check out Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards. It is a tour de force. It is meaty. It is very logical. Very philosophical. Don't let that scare you off. You might not understand all of what he's saying as he's saying it. You might have to read some things more than once. You might have to read slow. But you will work your mind like a muscle. And we need to meditate on things like this. And I think Jonathan Edwards, with the exception of uh, R.C. Sproul, probably the best articulator of these ideas I have read thus far in terms of bedside manner, attitude. Check it out. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.